want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Corral. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Marketing Edge, a national nonprofit committed to shaping the future of marketing leadership by connecting students, academics, and professionals to the resources and relationships they need to see, move, and stay ahead. Today, joining us is Vikram Samaya, who's the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at PepsiCo. Let's jump in and get to know Vikram. Vikram, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Great to be here. We're thrilled you're hanging with us and spending a little bit of this day with us. So for the audience that doesn't know you, can you tell us a little bit about where you're working and tell us a little bit about what's keeping you busy at 95? Yeah, absolutely. So I started at PepsiCo about a year and a half ago. And for me, this was a whole new world in some ways and very familiar territory in others. I've actually spent a lot of time with both you guys in the media space historically and in the technology space. But what was interesting for me was obviously I worked in the data analytics space, which now is really horizontal to any industry that's thinking about what transformation looks like. And given the way that the world is transforming and consumers are transforming and businesses are having to react to that, the one great part about working in data analytics means you really work in every industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I made that choice to come to PepsiCo, there were a lot of great reasons for it. And I'd love to talk about some of them as we get deeper into it. Sure. But it really was thinking about end-to-end. PepsiCo operates in five categories. That was fascinating, right? Agriculture and sourcing, manufacturing, supply chain, and then a lot of the consumer and marketing world that we came from, and then sales and customer engagement. So the pure breadth of problems and the pure breadth of opportunities that that engenders across you know, a huge multinational corporation that has true integrity at its core. That was pretty mm-hmm. That's awesome. I can't wait to ask you a little bit more about that. And you've worked for some tremendous companies, some of the best in the world. And, and I would love to dive into that in, in just a second. But for our audience, tell us a little bit about Vikram growing up. Like, where yeah. did you grow <laughs> up? And yeah, tell us about where you were born and raised. Absolutely. So I am a first generation immigrant. I grew up in India, in Bombay, super cosmopolitan city. I was the third generation in my family who went to America for their education. My mother came here for school. My grandfather came here and worked in the Tennessee Valley Authority in the 60s. Mm. And my sister and I both came here to get educated for college. And then after college, kind of the plan was to spend a few years here, sort of working through America, really thinking through what this country was able to give me in terms of opportunity and interest and, and learning to refine what I cared about. Mm-hmm. And then as it turned out, I never went back home. My sister went back home, as did most of, as did most of my family. But I fell in love with the place. And I fell in love with the things that I was doing. It was a combination of, at the time, startups and theater, uh, which I've been doing since I was seven. And you know, New York is kind of the place for both those things. So yeah. from my point of view, I was living with my three best friends from growing up. So our high school was interesting in that most of my high school actually ends up coming to the US. So if, I think 53 odd kids, probably the high 40s came to America for college. Oh, wow. And probably 35 of us came back to New York for at least another five years. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting cycle that where the school actually has a deep relationship with US colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was something I grew up thinking that I was going to do. And you know, I was going to come here for school. That's going to be interesting. I wanted to ask you about that, Vikram, because I imagine that has to sort of impacted how you dream, how you sort of think about things and maybe influences you a little bit. How did that sort of impact you with all that you just described there? Yeah, you know, it is a very interesting journey. I mean, 
uh, you know, I came from India, but my, you know, my family is very well off. We're not, you know, not hurting. We had a great life growing up, really fantastic childhood. We traveled a ton. The one place we did not travel was America. Mm-hmm. And that was always because we knew we were going we were to come here. And my parents were like, let me take you, let, let us take you everywhere else. And so you think you know a place because of what you've seen through the culture, right? Yeah. And we grew up, and this is funny, right? We grew up, we used to get VHS tapes every Saturday. And we would get, you know, the A-Team, Knight Rider, Streethawk, and, and we would watch those. And right, that, that, you know, in some ways, that, among other things, was our view into American culture. Because India, in the 80s, actually sort of kicked out a lot of the U.S. corporations when it went, sort of became a little nationalist. And so we didn't have, you know, cable TV, we didn't have any of those things. We actually didn't have Coke and Pepsi for years. Mm-hmm. And so it was a culture where, you know, really what we saw of the U.S. came from television, video, and, and Hollywood. And so you come here and you think, I know how this is going to work, right? And, you know, I came to a highly competitive college and I came from being, you know, one of the guys in my high school, good at everything, worked hard, played all the sports, did all the right things. And I kind of came here and I had to deal with winter for the first time in my life. <laughs> and, and ended up losing nine jackets because I would keep walking out of places, not remembering. I had no oh, memory. Man. Of ever having you grew up in Puerto Rico, right? So same thing, right? I, I literally never owned a sweater growing up. Right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that's just one thing of so many that you think you'd understand, but when you come here, your brain has to make that adjustment. Mm-hmm. The other thing I remember that I thought was worth describing was I grew up in Bombay, like 22 million people. Like, there's always people around. You can feel the energy. It just yeah, happens. yeah. I came to Connecticut, mm-hmm. right? And oh, I was like I was driving down the highway. Like, the first people be like, "Where are the people, man?" What's going on? And but but those are just a few of the things that you don't realize you're gonna have to process. And I will tell you, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough. Even when you're relatively, you know, when you grew up privileged, relatively like I did. You know, Vikram, you mentioned your love of theater a minute ago. And I remember I think one of the first times I met you was at an Ad Monsters event, and you gave a presentation and you were able to really put on a Shakespearean show while you were <laughs> presenting. You're, you remember those presentations you used to give? <laughs> I, I did. I'll tell you, I've done it all the way through to Mexico. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, I really enjoy bringing the arts and the sciences together. You know, it's funny, as part of your coming to PepsiCo, you go through a personality assessment, which I think is always fascinating. And one of the things, I discussed it with the gentleman, Alan Church, who designs them. And he was like, you know, you're, in your three highest, there were two that we'd never seen together at the top. You have both design and science as two of your highest. Mm. And for me, that made perfect sense for me because I think that combination of left brain, right brain has been kind of my whole life. Mm. But it also means I had an unusual journey into this path. And to the point you just raised, Carol, like I came to school, I did my first three years in molecular biology and biochemistry. But I graduated with a degree in the history of art with a focus on Indian temple architecture, mm. right, which is highly mathematical. Can I mention where you went to school too? Yeah, I, went, I, went, I went to Yale. And my mother and my sister are both architects. And so I grew up with an architect sort of showing me the world, but I loved science. And I literally had a moment one day when I was like, I don't want to do any more genetics. And I want to explore every class that I could possibly explore and came out with this very specific degree. But I will tell you what college taught me and what school taught me was how to think kind of little. And I think it was an incredible gift. And you know, it's the same reason I think America's college system is is so amazing. It really opens your mind up to what the possibilities are. And it did not restrict me when I came out. My first job uh, was actually two years at an agency, a creative agency, where I spent time 
It was called Cliff Freeman and Partners. The two years I was there, it was we won the most awards of any creative shop, creative agency in the world. Mm. And it was an incredibly fun, vibrant, exciting place to work. And I worked in a new team that was focused on trying to understand what was happening with this whole the whole digital world, right? And it was that was my entry point to then twelve years of startup. Vikram, uh, you know, thank you for that. I, I want to ask you about your family. What are some things that they taught you? Your parents, Ali, what are what are some things they taught you and prepared you for? Because it sounds like you still had, you know, this unique experience here, but you have very much family and kind of one foot still back over there and one foot here, it sounds like. Yeah, and I think that's so true. I mean, I mean there's nothing more important than my family, right? I mean, and, and in India particularly, that's the culture. You you grow up being support, you have family moving through your house, you have, you know, thousands, you know, in my case, of uncles and aunts and cousins working through your life and you're never alone in that sense. And there was also that sense of sort of family identity was a strong mark of our cultural upbringing for sure. And I also grew up with people in my family. My greatest hero is my granddad, was my grandfather. You know, he, an astonishing man, just incredibly traveled, incredibly educated. I grew up with my parents and my grandparents, even my mother's parents in the same household. And he taught me sort of everything that mattered for sort of how I thought about the work world. He taught me how to read The Economist from the back page in. You read it, start with the obituary, and then you read in. Every time he packed, he had a little card. And on that card was written every single thing that went into his travel suitcase, right? And he went to, I think it was 200 plus countries over the course of his career. And when he came back, he would bring slide film and he would get it developed. And there would be that one night, he would give me the slides and I would run and get the projector and set it all up. And then we would watch wherever he went to, right? Whether it was mm. France or, you know, it, it could be anywhere in the world. And he worked for a conglomerate called the Tatas, which was, you know, equivalent to GE maybe in this country. So he taught me to strive hard. And with my parents, my father was a cardiothoracic surgeon who worked in, and still works incredibly hard at keeping people alive. And my mother's an architect. And they were professionals who didn't allow me to ever slack, you know? And that's a little bit of Asian culture too. That's true. You were not allowed to get, you know, I was not allowed to get a lot of bees. That's kind of the way it was. And then I came to college in America and got all kinds of strange grades because, you know, (laughs) you know, Vikram, with you describing sort of your upbringing and things that your grandfather taught you and and your parents and, you know, moving from India here to the U.S., obviously you've experienced a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of cultures as well, too. How do you think that has helped? sort of shaped your perspective on the world today and sort of, you know, how you carry yourself day to day? I think travel is the greatest education you can give your children, right? Mm. And my parents from day one mandated that we would travel to see the world. I remember both my, my mother and my grandfather talking about the fact that xenophobia is such a function of not understanding other people because you've had no interaction with them. Mm. It's difficult to dislike a people when you've actually spent time with them, you know? And I think Again, you know, we've seen a world where we grew up in our villages 200 years ago to now being able to cross the world in a matter of hours, right? I mean, there's every opportunity today, not available to everybody, but certainly available to some of us to actually make sure that we can live life as a global citizen. And by that, I mean, be open to whatever that experience brings you and recognize that you're going to meet people who are not like you. So what can you learn from them, right? Right. And, you know, I'll talk about some of my mentors later on, but I'll touch one right away. There's a gentleman named Kurt Hecht, who I worked for at the weather company. Kurt was just an astonishing man. He actually passed away a few years ago. And he taught me two things, optimism and patience. 
right? And I think they, they connect to what my cultural values imbued in me too. You know, when you come into this country and you're smart and you're doing well, you're a little bit arrogant, right? And you're not willing to listen as much. And as you age, and as you go through experiences, and some of those experiences are difficult and, you know, being away from my family, when three of my grandparents died over a course of six weeks, and because of my visa status, I couldn't fly back to any of their funerals, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reality of the American immigration system and a reality of sort of what we went through, right? So those are things that I, I couldn't have imagined that I wouldn't do. And yet, I did them for the sake of my career and because of, that's what needed to happen at the time. But, you know, all these things come together and, and going back to optimization for a second, I, those are the things that I've learned from my family. Those are the things I learned from difficult experiences. You can certainly touch on some of them as we keep going into this conversation. And, and finally, the patient stuff, you know, that's what everybody with age and experience will tell you you need and you don't realize it until much, much later down the road. But I think those are some of the learnings from some of those early years and, and certainly some of the learnings from some of the best people I, I listened to along the way. Gotcha. Gotcha. I want to fast forward a little bit here to and come back to your current position at Pepsi. And you mentioned earlier some of the reasons why you joined the company. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about what do you love about the, you know, the position you're in right now, sort of leading data and analytics at Pepsi? Yeah. Some of the, the people, I mean, it's just a little bit of a cliche, but for me, it's almost always the people that have to be right for everything else to be okay. That's foundational, right? And I remember coming into PepsiCo and meeting Hugh Johnson, my first manager. And then over time, you know, my peers, Ramon LaGuardia, our CEO, who I was lucky to spend a fair amount of time with in that first year. Uh, eventually, my my current manager, Tina Kanura, who's just a remarkable individual. And then had the chance to really build up a team from scratch. For me, what was really interesting was, and especially coming from media and technology, where there's a little bit more of a sharp edge, there's something really familial about PepsiCo, right? I mean, there was a sense, deep sense of family. And, and I had it at other companies as well. Disney was, was similar in that respect. And a lot of my startups had a lot of energy and familiar energy in that sense. But there was something that was deeply comforting about that, that you could see that people trusted each other, relied on each other. The other piece was PepsiCo's focus on its associates, on its employees. It is relentless, right? And then the third thing I would say is the international flavor of the company. It's truly global. And again, for someone like me, who's a first-generation immigrant, my family lives across the world. You know, I travel to see them in a whole bunch of different continents. We are separated by the seas. That's just kind of how families often are these days, and perhaps even more so in the case of someone like myself. And it's nice to have a situation where you are able to connect to all those cultures on an ongoing basis. And those initial sets of notions around why I was so interested in the company have been just more than borne out over the time I've spent there so far and has really made me feel very comfortable about the change I made. Because when you change categories, even when you can do data analytics everywhere, and I've talked about this a little in some other forums, there is a sense of imposter syndrome you get. Mm-hmm. And, and let me say, as a brown man in America, I often have, have a sense of imposter syndrome, right? And that's an interesting thing for us to talk about. I mean, do you have the right to do these things? Do you have the remit to do these things? Do you have the allowance to do these things? And certainly when you come into a company where you know people have been working here 10, 20, 30, 40 years, more than that in some cases, really understand how CPG works, how the retail works, and, and how it all comes together. Someone like me who came from outside the industry, who they brought in because my skills and capabilities were interesting to them. They were incredibly warm about doing it. You know, it's taken me a year to really feel comfortable that I can walk into any meeting and know that I'm comfortable with, with the material, right? I, I think that's, that's powerful, Vikram, your honesty. 
there. Uh, it's it's a very real thing. And, and you mentioned the tenure, you know, uh, of the folks that are there, but also just sometimes people of color like us, we just don't look the same as everyone else that sometimes, you know, where we're interacting with, you know, so thank you for your honesty there. Yeah. And I will say, you know, coming from technology, the startup world, I think was pretty diverse. Media, mm-hmm. a little, little less diverse, as, right. as, as we know, especially as we start moving towards some of the larger corporations. And, you know, there was definitely more times in the media world when I would look around and I would be the only one of color in a room very often. And, you know, some of those topics of conversation was, I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, you have to steal yourself a little bit and say, I can do this. And, right. you know, like a lot of people who do theater, I'm, you know, no one will believe this of the people who know me well, but not well enough that I am shy. As long as there's one person in the room that I know, I'm good to go. Right? <laughs> but I will tell you, for, for many years in my career, if there wasn't that one person, right, and you were at a conference and you walked in, and you guys know what this is like. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See your faces that look the same. Yeah. Have the same clothes on, been to the same schools, mm-hmm. like, you know, know each other, know their families. It's difficult, right? And, you know, it was really interesting for me. I grew up in a bubble like that in Bombay, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the families all know each other. We go back generations. I was very comfortable with that whole very cocoon scenario. And mm-hmm. I sort of blew that up when I came here and never went back to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have both empathy for what it's like to grow up in that situation and be completely yeah. comfortable in it for mm-hmm. you know your whole life if that's what you choose. And I just chose a very different route. And I wanted to be my own man. That was a big part of why I stayed in America. That was a big part of what I think my parents and my grandparents wanted from me, which was to build something that was my own. Mm, yeah. and I, you know, I think I've had a fairly decent shot at that, you know, with the two steps forward, one step back stuff that sometimes happens. It's interesting. I, I think if, if all those people could hear you saying that right now, they'd probably be so proud. I've had family members, you know, communicate a similar sort of feeling of, you know, hey, that's why they did all of that. That's why they taught us all those things so that we yeah. could feel and speak. And say the things that you just said, you know, I want to ask you a little bit about some unique experiences that people are going through right now. And you mentioned people from from Asia that are here in America right now are going through some, some really, really difficult situations. As a person of color and from a part of Asia, can you can you tell us about like Absolutely. what that's been like here? And, and I think what that feels like and what that looks like. I was just an executive sponsor at one of our ERGs talking about exactly this topic. Mm about some of the hatred and violence towards Asian Americans in America. And I actually started with a story that was not related to the most recent worries. So 9-11-2001, I was pulling up in a cab to World Trade Two at 8.46 a.m. And I looked up and I saw the first plane hit, you know, a building above me, right? I was downstairs. If I had been 15 minutes earlier, I would have been at the windows of the world and I would not have been downstairs. I then watched the second plane hit. And I moved away after that about 45, 40, about 500 feet. And then a police officer who was trying to move us got mad at me, particularly because I was not listening to him and said, you got to move. I was about four blocks away when the buildings went down, right? Just beyond where the buildings hit. Um, and, you know, we all had our experience with that situation. But it was particularly interesting to be a brown person in America in those years, right? We all had events. I had it at airports. I had it out in the street. And I hadn't, I hadn't felt that. I had, you know, a few things happen to me in college where people would say something or do something, but not a lot, to be honest. And those years for me were the years where I really felt different mm. more than I'd ever felt before. 
And, and part of it was I was cocooned in this community of people who had come over from India with me. And, you know, we all were family to each other mm-hmm. without having our own families here. And so that was very easy. But, you know, 10 years out, there was much less of that family. A lot of them went back to India. And you were alone sometimes and isolated and thinking through what this what this looked like. And so when I was talking to our community, it became a story about more things than just the reaction to what was happening. It became about the model minority notions, right? That Asian Americans, and this includes all kinds, Eastern, Southern, first of all, we're a very broad community. We look different, we, we, we were culturally different, but we're often lumped together. Secondly, we typically don't tend to speak up or stand up for ourselves as much as we probably should, and certainly as much as other communities have been more recently. And we've had our fair share, depending on when you came to the country and how that happened of intolerance and, and violence. And, and given what's happening now, I think for the first time, I'm really beginning to see the anger manifest into something strong and something meaningful in terms of people wanting to talk about what the Asian American experience has been like from a negative perspective, right? You know, mm-hmm. you have the, the stories about, you know, how we have to fight to get into colleges because there are too many of us in them or, you know, that we do very well as a community, but it doesn't mean we all do very well. And it doesn't mean those things are easy. So th- that actually, my talking about that story actually sparked then a lot of other stories, you know, from some of the younger employees who were who are in that space. I won't talk about them because they didn't give me the option. You know, that was a safe space. But mm-hmm. suffice it to say that they had been through variants of this, right? And they, friends they knew. And in some cases, it was new and unexpected. And in every case, it was deeply unsettling, right? That notion that you are attacked for who you are, not for what you have done or what you represent, but simply for who you are. And and look, there's been a long history of this in any colonial <laughs> notion, right? I mean, I, I come from a country that was run by the British for 200 years, and that has had an impact. In the US, part of the reason why so many of us come here is because freedom is enshrined in, in the very basis of this nation, right? This nation since we got rid of the previous nation that actually inhabited it. But it still doesn't mean that there is not, there's something truly joyous about that, right? I mean, the Statue of Liberty, the notion this is a nation of immigrants. So to come here and then have that happen to you, that's traumatic. And, mm-hmm. and we all carry that in different ways. So it allowed, I think, those two tent poles for me, 9-11, and then what's, what's happened more recently. For us, that is, you know, those, that have been totemic for me of how the Asian experience modified itself. Mm-hmm. in a way that I would never have expected and, and was was saddened by both times. Right? I am saddened by now. Thank you for sharing your personal experiences and your courage to talk about that. I think it's, 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 it's meaningful. I'm curious about, you mentioned some of your mentors, you mentioned Kurt and, you know, and those things that you learned. Uh, I'm curious about how you pass things on to others. You know, uh, you've <laughs> talked in the past about developing talent, how important talent is to organizations and, and what that means and how important it is. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, developing talent and, and the importance for, for companies with that? Yeah, I mean, I love the people I work with. And I certainly deeply care about the quality of teams that I build and also the ability to build for them a future, right? And sometimes that future is in my team. Sometimes that future is in our company. Sometimes it's not. I think much like a lot of people in our industries, and I think people have been very kind to me in this space. And it was, you know, regardless of color or creed or race. I mean, I've had mentors of every kind, uh, of every ilk, who have been incredibly kind to me from the day I started in technology, from the day I started in advertising, the day I started in media, uh, and now the day I've started in CPG. And 
I do think there is something to be said for American culture in terms of that friendliness. And a lot of people talk about how it's surface or superficial. I do remember the story of when I flew into the US for the first time, my mother and I flew into Boston and then we flew out to Maine. And my mother had been an AFS exchange student when she was 16 mm. in Asheville, North Carolina, wearing oh, wow. a sari the whole year she was here. Oh, right? wow. <laughs> and I met the most amazing family who we're still in touch with, you know, 50, 60 years later. And we went to visit one of her sisters. And I remember walking down this little village in Maine and everyone saying, hey, how are you? That is not a thing you do in India, right? You don't just say, hey, how are you? Some person you don't know. Mm. And for me, I love that. Right? <laughs> like Everything you hear about, like, that's lame. That's so cool. I love it. <laughs> I still love it. I love the friendliness of Americans. I genuinely do. And now that I count myself one, like I want to make sure that I bring that same, again, it's that same sense of optimism to what we do, especially when you think about what's going on more broadly today, right? Not just obviously the pain, but, but, but the virus and everything that that's done to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. really amplify some of the pain that we feel in this nation today. I also live in Harlem, right? Which again, for me is just an amazing place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now, even through the, the, through the virus, it's so warm, it's so vibrant, there's so much community. I adore it, right? And, and part of it is because there's so much richness in the culture. And what I love about New York and why I've lived here for 20 years is that joy that everyone celebrates together and everyone feels pain together, right? And in some cases, of course, we interact poorly between ourselves, but there's still that sense that this melting pot in the end welcomes everyone that comes into it. Some people get spit out the other side, but in general, you have every the same opportunities in some cases and, and sometimes maybe not the same opportunities as the person next to you, but there is a lot of opportunity period. You just have to figure out how to access it. And again, to go back to your mentoring question, I have tried to, to give to uh, you know people the same way that they've given back to me. And when I think about how I make decisions today, I have a board of personal board of directors, right? And these are friends. These are ex-managers, people like Ed Earhart from ESPN and, and uh, Keith McAllister from my time at Reuters. There's no shortage. I mean, I mean, so many of them have, have stayed in touch with me. I have peers who I love, who I go to, you know, Pooja Kapoor, who you interviewed on your podcast here. That's the Pooja. Um, yeah, Kelly McCarthy from LVMH, Jonah Goodhart. So many people who've been willing to give to me. And then as importantly, I've had people who work for me, who give me their opinions. I've had, you know, at my team in PepsiCo now, Amanda Swistock and I have worked together at four companies, mm. right? And she's one of many who worked with me in previous lives. And, and you know, we don't always go out and work at the, at the same companies, but there certainly are situations where, you know, that poor group comes comes back to us. Mm-hmm. Operative, one of my first startups, and one where I had a really amazing time. We have, I think, four or five operatives at PepsiCo in my team today. Wow. Not because we planned it, but because their skills over the time period between then have been developed to the point where we could come back and, re- and reacquaint ourselves. So that network has been my family. I mean, and mm-hmm. you know, I think people are sometimes weird or, or afraid to say things like the people I work with are familial, that I love them, but I'm going to say it, right? I do. Yeah. I, I think it is one of the reasons why I really enjoy getting up and going to work every day is sort of the energy you get back from the people you're with. Um, I think the point you just made there, Vikram, is super important. I mean, you mm -hmm. spend a good portion of your life with the people you work with. You you better love them. You better enjoy being around them, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Maybe not for last year. I mean, we really spend time with our families. <laughs> no getting away from that. Uh, but yeah, they are family. And a lot of them, you know, we've, we've sort of hung out together in, in various different incarnations. And, you know, what I've realized is that, especially in our industry, 
if what the energy you put out is the energy you will get back. Mm. Uh, and that does happen. There's a lot of karma in in terms of how things are uh, given out. And I, I've always been extremely, extremely awed by how much time people were willing to give to me for no reason at all. Right? Mm. I mean, it wasn't that they were getting anything out of it necessarily, but they did it because much like you said, how are you giving back? That's a small piece of how you give back on a, on a regular basis. And I, I do think we have an industry that really, really is amazing about that. Right, right. Going back to family for a second, you are a husband and a father and the head of data and analytics. How are you balancing it all? Is, is well, it- I, I, so I have a, I am a, I'm a blended family. I was divorced uh, four or five years ago now, remarried in October of 19, well-planned in terms of timing. I have two <laughs> amazing boys. My first wife was Turkish, uh, is Turkish. So my boys are half Turkish, half Indian, ostensibly half Hindu, half Muslim. There's just a lot going on with them, right? And they process a lot of things in the world today too, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they look, they're Americans first. But I mean, their favorite place in the world is my mother's beach house in India, right? And their grandparents' beach house in Turkey. They seem to think that all our grand- their grandparents live at the beach all the time. <laughs> when they visit, that's what happens, right? And so they had this very... I started traveling with them when they were two months old each. Mm. Um, and often I would travel with them alone to India. And let me tell you, traveling with a two-year-old and a five-year-old or a two-month-old and a three-year-old alone as a gentleman is a whole lot easier than doing it as a woman because everybody takes care of you. <laughs> everybody. Uh, you definitely get more points than you should. But it, it trains you to be able to take them anywhere. Right? Yeah. So we, we all travel a lot. And that can be really hard. And my ex-wife and I used to both travel a lot. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, my, my, my wife and I have been in the, in the same house. We essentially had a year-long honeymoon in our place in Harlem because we've not had a lot of travels. I will say... For all of the horrible things that this virus has generated, this last year has been a gift for my family, right? Mm. The fact that you can spend this uninterrupted time with your children and your wife and your, and your blended family broadly. We have a, a very copacetic, very sort of happy blended family, which is an amazing gift on many levels. Mm-hmm. And it's an astonishing thing. And I remember I was talking to my, my younger boy, Rohan, who's nine. And I was like, you know, Rohan, we were talking about, you know, when the vaccine comes in and when we're able to travel again. And he was like, Daddy, you'll start, you'll start flying a lot. Huh? And, he's, and he's like, yeah, I'll miss you. And that was it. He didn't get into it. I mean, you know, they're very pragmatic, very smart, very, you know, good kids. And then they're not going to beat themselves up about it. But I could see that, you know, that was yeah. not going to be as fun for him. Yeah. It was nice to have yeah. that around all the time. And I think we work hard and we travel hard. And, you know, I think, again, the joy of a company like PepsiCo, which is global once it's operating at full scale, is that you travel a lot. But... You also have to walk away from your kids more times than you would like. And I think figuring out what the right balance is, everyone has to figure out their own their own methodology and their own way of doing it. But this year has been a gift. Mm. Yeah. Where do you draw inspiration from? Wow, I kind of dig that question. You know, it depends what it is. I mean, so like like you guys, and I know this for a fact, I have a lot of interests, right? Yeah. I mean, my room is like an 11-year-old's playroom, my office is, because that's just the kind of way it is, right? And I love bikes, Carol. I know you're, you ride a lot too. And, and again, it's one of those things that I fell into in later life and just adored because it gave me this true sense of meditation. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a huge sneakerhead. And the crazy part is I was not a sneakerhead until three years ago. And it was just not interesting to me until I had this spare time at this one point. And I got suddenly and weirdly obsessed with it mm. and spent the next two and a half years buying exclusively collaborations. <laughs> And, and because I loved the stories behind each of them and each mm. meant something to me. It wasn't because I just thought it was cool looking. 
it, it actually had to have some resonance to why it happened. And I think that again, and you know, I, I mentioned it before, but that notion that you know there is science and art, and that there's art and science, and yeah. that my job, especially when I think about what data analytics means in any industry, and that's certainly true for the work I'm doing at PepsiCo now, is it is bringing together sort of you know your left brain and your right brain in just all these different ways, right? I do believe that you know, the long-term for data should be, it should be federated out. Everyone should have a piece of data analytics in what they do. Mm. And to some degree, I don't think that people would have a choice around that. I do think that, you know, data analytics is is now expanding far beyond what our original remit was, which was, you know, descriptive and sort of what does history look like into prescription and what do I do and are the systems going to tell me what to do? And that requires us as a community of people who work in this industry to rethink what our jobs are every day. Yep. And that's both terrifying and amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fun question for you here. Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular <laughs> basis, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay, cool. Well, the sneakers app is up there for sure. There you uh, go. <laughs> I get a lot of L's on that thing, but you know, that's kind of the way it is. Strava, Carol, I know you know that mm-hmm. one too. Uh, it's an app that a lot of cyclists use to, because I started cycling so late, I have every single ride I've ever done on that thing. And you can definitely tell the years where I was injured, I had something going on and the years where I didn't and I was, you know, killing it. You know, I'm not in one of those killing it years right now, but Carol, I've seen your numbers and I know you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, then for me, this is a weird one. I thought it was an interesting one to talk about. I worked at the Weather Channel for three years. And, you know, when I first came to America, as I mentioned, when you live in India, there's three seasons, right? There's the summer, which is hot. There's the monsoon, which is wet. And then there's the winter, which is beautiful, right? 70 degrees every day, just spectacular. Mm. But you wear the same clothes for all of them. You don't really care about the weather, whatever, you'll figure it out. And I came to school in the Northeast, as I mentioned, and I, all these people were obsessed with like the temperature and the humidity. And I was like, these people are all crazy, right? And then I went to work at the weather camp, right? And in those three years, I totally fell in love with weather. So now I have all kinds of radar apps and weather apps, and I want to know exactly what's happening because, you know, part of it was what I built when I was, I built this program called Weather Effects, which was trying to understand how consumers and businesses reacted to what was happening in weather, mm-hmm. right? And there was so many interesting pieces of information, right? And we had all these stories and the New York Times and here, there, and everywhere because the stories themselves were human interest stories. Like, why is it that a particular temperature and a particular dew point in Dallas, people buy bog spray? You know why? And the science, when you figure it out, that's the temperature and the dew point at which these insects hatch, right? So, of course, people go out and buy stuff because suddenly they're being attacked by whatever the insect is. But it, it's all these crazy ways that behavior changes you. So, you know, three different apps. Pretty different ways they interact with my life, but you know that's that's part of who I am. That's awesome. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, and thanks again to our friends at Marketing Edge for sponsoring our podcast. Vikram, what are some ways that uh, our audience can follow you or reach out or stay in touch? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, Vikram Smaya. You can find me pretty easily, and LinkedIn is probably the best way if you want to just reach out and ask for some mentoring or some time. The one thing that I would say for LinkedIn, which is by far my biggest social network and, and probably one I spend the most time on, to be, to be frank, is if you're going to reach out to me and not put in a message saying why you are reaching out to me, I will tell you I had 1,200 invitations that I don't even know what to do with currently sitting in there. <laughs> and again, I mean, for good or for worse, I mean, when we're in the roles that we're in, as you all know, we get a lot of inbounds. And the ones that I take the time to respond to are people who have been thoughtful about how they reached out. 
regardless of what their title is or where they come from. Right. Passing on even more good advice. Advice. So thanks again to our friends at Marketing Edge. And you can find more episodes of Minority Report Podcast where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks. Thanks, Vikram. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.